The Way Home with Laura Smith, the show that brings you wonderful guests, helpful advice, and uplifting stories. The Way Home. Live inspired. Here's your host, Laura Smith. It's so great to be with you today. Thank you so much for joining us on The Way Home. I've been looking very forward to this program this week because I am going to be speaking with someone I had the opportunity to speak with, oh my goodness, probably eight years ago, but she has made such a difference in the lives of children, most notably foster children and children um, who are eligible for adoption. Her name is Rita Saronin, and she's the president and CEO of the great Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. And if you remember, Dave Thomas is the founder of Wendy's, Wendy's uh, Burgers. And Dave Thomas was so passionate about children and adoption because he himself was adopted. So he dedicated a lot of his life to helping that cause, helping children and getting his own family involved in that. Well, Rita Saronin has been the president and CEO I think since 2001. So we're going to hear about all these many years coming up actually on the 30th anniversary of the Dave Thomas Foundation, which is one of my favorite charities that um, you can also get involved with uh, on a monthly basis and truly make a difference for children. So looking so forward to speaking with her and children and adults all need good nutrition. And we are sponsored by Balance of Nature, fruits and veggies in a capsule. So I would say that there is no one too young for Balance of Nature and no one too old. And I know that for certain because Dr. Howard, who formulated and chose the fruits and vegetables that would be um, put into the capsules the 20 years ago that he uh, put it all together, he said that he gives it to his daughters uh, when they are pregnant as kind of a basically a, a prenatal vitamin because it is so chock full of the nutritions that any mother would want for their baby and uh, while they're uh, while they're getting ready to be born. So that's how young it can go. And then children can take the capsules. Uh, the parents can open them up and put them in their food. And it's really an amazing way to get all the nutrients that they need. And then on up to say my dad, who's 85 years old, he takes eight and eight capsules of the fruits and veggies every day. And why does he do this? And he is so committed to it for eight years now is because since the day he started taking it, he never got a cold again or the flu. Now you have to understand that my dad traditionally got so many colds and flus throughout the year for most of his life that we couldn't believe it that just by taking the fruits and veggies that he has never had one again. So I'm not allowed to claim that it's a cure-all for anything, but I will, I'm telling you my experience. It's my testimony. My dad hasn't had a cold or flu since he started taking Balance of Nature eight years ago. Go to balanceofnature.com, balanceofnature.com. Make sure that you put Laura into the promo code when you order it. That way you're going to get 35% off your first preferred order. And then after that, free shipping for all time. So Laura into the promo code, L-A-U-R-A. And also if you call them, you have to tell the person on the phone that you're using Laura as your promo code. And that number is super easy too. It's 800-2468-751. 800-2468-751. Balance of nature. Thank you so much. When we come back, 
You're going to hear from Rita Saronin, someone who has been an advocate for children for all these many years. This is The Way Home. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura. As I said in the opening, I have been looking forward to this uh, this interview for quite a while because the last time I spoke to the wonderful Rita Sorenin, president and CEO of Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption and Forever Families for Children in Foster Care, um, it was a good long eight years ago already, And but I never forgot it. It was one of those, you know, over the years I've interviewed so many wonderful people, but there are always just a handful that stay so close to my heart and because they made such an impact on me. And Rita is, is one of those people. And the foundation, of course, the Dave Thomas foundation is one of them as well. I did everything I could to, to find her. And, uh, I luckily and thankfully I did. So I'm so grateful. Last month was actually foster care awareness month. Um, it's now we're just a week out of that, but foster care awareness is something that is should be every day of the year and also for adoption. So Rita, thank you so much for joining us today and congratulations on 30 year anniversary at the Dave Thomas. Well, not you at the Dave Thomas foundation, but the foundation itself. It is 30 years and I'm so excited to be with you. I can't believe time has sped by so quickly since I last saw you, but it's a delight to be with you. I'm so excited. Thank you for that. Yes. 30 years. The Dave Thomas foundation for adoption was founded in 1992. Wow. And I just remember being excited when I heard about all you were doing. And, and I loved this story. So for my, my new audience and maybe some of my old audience who still follows um, all of my programs and such, I, I would love for you to give us a little background just on, on where Dave Thomas um, had this uh, wonderful brainchild to, to bring this into being. Uh, it's a beautiful story. It's the it's my favorite thing to talk about. Look, we we uh, sit on the shoulders of Dave Thomas. He was adopted uh, as an infant. He, as I think most people still remember that he created the Wendy's Company, those amazing square hamburgers and frosties. <laughs> um, and as he was progressing into the later part of his career at Wendy's and really thinking about stepping aside as CEO, um, what he wanted to do was assure that there was this notion of real activity on what they were, what the Wendy's company was doing and was in their DNA, which was giving back. But how do we do that in a, in a, in a much more impactful way? And so this connection that he had to adoption, and he was in foster care just for a little bit, but his life was not the easiest, um, even though he was adopted and even though he had family, unlike so many of our kids who linger in foster care. But his uh, mother passed away when he was relatively young. His father was a bit of an itinerant worker, so he moved from place to place, and he was really raised by his grandma, Minnie. Um, and so he uniquely understand or understood, I think, our children in foster care who were older, who were wondering about family and home, who, and he left home at 16 um, and started out on his own. So just a unique identification with those vulnerable 
older kids in foster care, I think, but then decided, you know, at that point in 1992, when he created the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption, there was not a robust conversation in this country about foster care and foster care adoption. It, and, and if there were conversations, I think the children and, and the, the system was rife with myths and misperceptions. So he decided that's really where we should be a laser-like focus and created the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption to be a national nonprofit public charity focused exclusively on children in foster care who are waiting to be adopted. And we've carried that legacy, I hope, in a way that he would have wanted it to happen. Um, he passed away not uh, less than a year after I started at this foundation. And so I, it's my one regret that I didn't have a lot of time to spend with him and really understand what's your vision for this foundation? What should we be doing? But I hope that the work that we've done over the past few years really respects the legacy that he created and the, the conversation that he changed on behalf of thousands and thousands and thousands of children over the years. It's really remarkable because it is about the conversation around it. I mean, growing up, and I'm not that old, but, uh, you know, it, was, it wasn't a taboo, but it wasn't something that was you know, extremely, uh, people weren't open about it as much adoption. I remember I had some cousins that were adopted and it was almost like a hush, hush. Well, we don't talk about that. And not everybody knows that they just, just pretend as though they're, you know, they were born to the family. And, and I think about that and I just, it just boggles my mind. My sister um, ended up adopting her only child from an orphanage in Indonesia because she's been living there with her husband for the last 32 years. And Amina is our, is, is the light of our lives. And we, we couldn't love her anymore. And she is just extraordinary. She's 21 now and in at Syracuse university, but you know, these are the the wonderful, happy stories around it. The foster care system and them aging out of it. I learned a bit about it through you and through Jimmy Wayne, the country singer. I've had him on my show many times. And because he talks about that and advocates for that as well. You're a child advocate. And I know that you've been before um, the House and, and, and our legislature to to really try to talk to them about it. How far have we come, Rita, in terms of uh, maybe increasing the age uh, requirement for, for kids to age out of foster care because it was so young before and it's so many of those children found themselves floundering that weren't adopted, weren't in any family. So how has that changed since you and I spoke last in two, 2014? 2014, can you imagine? I know. Um, well, th- a couple of things, you know, in response to that. First, a majority of states have changed their aging out age from 18 to 21. Is that still uh, enough? I don't know, but at least it gives a couple of more years of time for a youth to to really engage at a at a, at a level that will help ensure their success. Um, but but we've also um, you know it wasn't so long ago that you would find in caseworker case files as we grew a program that responds to these kids who are most likely to age out of care, we would find in case files literally the phrase that said, this child is unadoptable. And it was probably because they were 13 or 14 or 15, and they didn't believe that someone would step forward and adopt this child. And so that's when not only um, in, in conjunction with encouraging states to raise that age so that 
kids don't have to leave the system at 18 completely on their own. But we created a program um, that, that really looks at how do we serve these children better and how do we assure that rather than aging out as the permanency outcome, a permanent family is the permanency outcome for these children, which is the goal. The day that these children who have been abused or neglected, they're in care through no fault of their own, the day that they are permanently terminated from their family of origin. And, you know, first, you know, think of those words, terminated from family of origin. So that grief and loss that they experience for the rest of their lives, no matter what the circumstances were, um, our promise to them is we will find you a family. But in this country still, uh, I will tell you that from 2014 to now, those numbers have not gotten significantly better. Around 20,000 children every year turn 18 or 21 and leave foster care without a family. But we created a, pam- a, a program that responds to that, that we're taking to scale all across the country um, in all 50 states in D.C. And the idea is it's, it's, a, it's a rigorous model of practice that allows full-time adoption professionals to carry smaller caseloads, to focus exclusively on the longest waiting children in their community, to, to it put in place these, these really successful tactics that will assure a family for them. And it's working. It's working significantly across the country. So it's a couple of things. It's policy, absolutely. But it's also, I think caseworkers needed a, an evidence-based practice that they could use so they wouldn't any longer write in a file, I, I don't know how to get a 14-year-old adopted. I don't know how to get a 17-year-old adopted. We have a program that gets these children adopted. Oh, I would love to hear some of the so-called tactics and principles that the Dave Thomas Foundation is using to get these older children uh, adopted. What would be some of them off the top of your head, Rita? Yeah, absolutely. And it's this great partnership. So it's it's sort of a public-private partnership. We're a grant-making organization, and so we provide resources so an agency or a state can hire a full-time skilled adoption professional who's committed to permanency for children to begin with. They can't be doing all of the things in the child welfare spectrum. They can't carry a caseload of 40 or 50 children. They can only a case carry a caseload of 12 to 15 children. So they have time. And, you know, the tactics aren't rocket science. It's develop a relationship with each and every child on your caseload. Get to know who they are. Understand their journey and where they are. Understand their hopes and wishes and dreams but also take the time to do a deep dive into their case file. Because by the time we're working with children who have been in care the longest, their case files are rich with potential adoptive resources. But that also includes extended family members. Again, there was a time not so long ago when child welfare agencies would say, oh, we could never possibly place this child with extended family members because the classic, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Again, when nothing could be further from the truth, most of the time. And when you place a child with extended family members, you allow that child to maintain a connection to whom they are, a connection to their community. So smaller caseload, um, get to know every child on your, on your, on your caseload. And in fact, there's a, a minimum requirement of at least monthly connection with that child. Do a deep dive into the case file and learn about all the potential already existing adoptive resources. And if family, if there are no family members, uh, and we use a number of, of, of tools to find family members, but if there are none or, or those that don't want to step forward, then you look at that next level of adults who are already connected to this child, former foster parents, um, teachers, coaches, others who have been in and out of that child's life, that if they knew he or she was waiting for an adoptive family, 
might step forward and adopt. And that's where we see that success. And so develop a, a, a very aggressive um, adoption plan and then work that plan until that child is adopted. And these, we call them Wendy's Wonderful Kids Recruiters because our Wendy's partners who help with an extraordinary amount of fundraising with the Dave Thomas Foundation really latched onto this program. And so we recognized the incredible fundraising they did and called it Wendy's Wonderful Kids. So these Wendy's Wonderful Kids recruiters stay with the children. They don't give up on them. They never call them unadoptable. In fact, that's the one challenge I think they like to see. Oh, the case file says unadoptable. We'll show you that that's not the case, right? And then they Uh stay with these children. They make sure the family understands who this child is and are prepared for how to support perhaps a 13-year-old who's been in care for five or six years and is... Um, uh, perhaps afraid of being reabused or or afraid of dealing with adults who have failed him every step of the way. So helps support the, the family, helps the child understand that they are in a period of perhaps grief and loss, or they may feel unloyal to their family of origin. And so they resist adoption efforts. So really works the dynamics of sort of the psychology behind the adoption dynamics and then moves to get this child adopted. It's, it's again, it's, it's, it's allowing caseworkers, adoption professionals to do the kind of work that they want to do, and now they can do it. That's fantastic because you identified what the issue was. Now, in terms of receptivity and people um, knowing, you know, what's available and what these children um, have to offer, I mean, we, we're really good with pets in our country, aren't we? You know, the Humane Society and everything. And we know how to get those pets adopted. And all we have to do is, like, put them on a TV, you know, news show or, or send out emails. It's not quite the same, obviously, right. for, for children. So where do you find the audience that has an appetite for wanting to, to do, uh, to either adopt or to foster children? Is there some community that, that seems to, fare better for these kids than others? You know, and particularly for older children, um, you know, there are a lot of uh, families who have already raised biological children, perhaps, but they find they still would love to have children in their lives. They have room in their heart. They have room in their home. And so that makes a nice match with a 15-year-old or 16-year-old. The notion of teenagers is not a new concept for them. They, they understand the dynamics of teenagers. So families that have already raised children, single parents, who say, you know what, I'm just not really interested in diapers. I'm not interested in 3 a.m. feedings. I would consider an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old to bring into my life. Um, certainly same-sex families who who really are very concerned about the fact that children are lingering in foster care um, and, and, you know, can't have biological children of their home or don't choose to do it in other with other means um, and so uh, are ready to adopt a, a child or a youth from foster care. So I think the dynamics of who can adopt there, you know, there aren't, um, unlike perhaps um, international adoption, and, and don't get me wrong, we celebrate every form of adoption. However a child comes into a family, that's what is best for that child and that family, which includes international infant adoption or domestic infant adoption. But for those families who step up and say, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm a little bit older and there might be age restrictions internationally, or I'm a single parent and there might be restrictions or families that don't want 
a single parent to adopt their infant, that door is wide open for the diversity of families that can step forward in foster care. And so we've been talking about that. But we also talk about the misperceptions that surround these children. You know, we do every now and then we do a snapshot of Americans' attitudes toward foster care and adoption. What really saddens me is we st- 51% of Americans still believe that youth are in foster care because they've done something wrong, because they're juvenile delinquents. And so we have to smash those attitude barriers to say, and that's why, you know, those, those kids linger in care, because we believe they're maybe too old, too dangerous, too damaged to be adopted. Again, nothing could be further from the truth. So it's that mixture of understanding Americans' attitudes that drive our messaging and drive our activities, but really opening the door for the diversity and the rich texture of families that are available for these youth in care. My guest is Rita Surinen. She is the uh, president and CEO of the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption and has been their wonderful president and CEO for now uh, 21 years. (laughs) And the foundation itself is celebrating 30 years. And we're talking about this. This will always be, I think, probably one of the most important things that any family can kind of consider and and think about um, whether or not they would be willing to either foster or adopt. Rita, for some, I've had some people that I know personally that have foster children and, you know, fall in love with these, either they're babies or they're a bit older. And, and then they have had situations where the children then are, are gone. They go back to their biological family, but, like they know as they're fostering that that's not good for the child because the, the history is just too dangerous and yet they are taken out of their hands. And, and, and so I'm not sure if bringing this up is the right thing to do, but I want to maybe talk to the people who worry about like, what if I do foster a child and want to adopt and, and, it, and we become totally a family and then we have this thing happen where they're then taken back. Is that frequent? Is that something that happens all the time? Or is that per state because of the different laws in each different state? How how does that work? It's a great question. And it's something that I think folks who are thinking about fostering or thinking about foster to adopt really need to um, uh, uh, contemplate as they're jumping into this. Look, our first default for children, children come into care because they've been abused or neglected. Our goal is to get them back home. What services does this family need? How can we make this family safe for this child? It takes quite a process to move children through the court until the judge finally decides this child can never go home. And so we're going to legally separate this child from family. So folks who come into it just to foster need to need to keep in mind that you're right. I'm going to, you know, I may fall in love with these children. I may really feel like I've got a family forming when I've got children who are in foster care, but I have to keep in the back of my mind that hopefully what's best for these children is for them to go home to a safe environment now. Um, And to know that as a foster parent who does that, that they might be that that one connection in that child's life that really had an influence and and really made a change in their mind about, I can trust adults. There are caring adults in this world, no matter what they may be going back to. It is difficult sometimes when a a foster family says, wow, that that I just don't know about that family. At some level, we have to trust the caseworkers, the social workers um, are doing the right thing on behalf of this child. And sometimes those children come back into care, uh, mm-hmm. understood, and, and, and mistakes are made or families that we think have changed 
um, haven't or, or fall back into negative behaviors of substance abuse or something like that as well. So absolutely, that's a first concern. But folks can also come into the system, typically in most states, in a sort of foster to adopt mode so that you may be fostering, you get your feet wet in the, what is the system? How do I manage dealing with government employees? What's the support systems around me? You really learn the system and then make it clear to your caseworker, I am also interested in adopting. And so they may place children in your home who have been recently freed for adoption or, or who are on the track to be freed for adoption. That's a little bit more iffy again, because they may be on the track and then they may go back home. But usually if they're on that track, then they're moving toward adoption. And so you begin to establish that household for a child that hopefully will turn into a permanent household. So it's absolutely a valid conversation. I think people need to think deeply about, is this what I can handle? Is this what my family can handle? But know the flip side of that is you may be that one adult in a child's life, no matter what happens, that really helps them understand um, the value of family, that helps them trust adults again. And sometimes you can stay connected to a child as well, even once they've gone back home. Absolutely. And I'm thinking that very much the Dave Thomas Foundation offers an incredible support and a network to help anybody who's facing this decision about whether or not they feel they can foster or adopt. Um, So anybody in any state can go to your website and find out how to start the process there. Absolutely. DaveThomasFoundation.org. We've got a great resource. It's a pretty simple resource, but it's really good. It's the Beginner's Guide to Adoption. So it walks folks through every step. What do I need to do? Who do I reach out to? Oh, that's I have to you know schedule classes. I have to get a home study. Um, I have to get a background check. And so people are going to be scouring into my life to make sure I'm a safe placement for a child. Um, and then the next steps of, of what people can expect. And they can download it from the website. They can order a hard copy. Um, it's a nice first place to start. But we can also connect people because our Wendy's Wonderful Kids Network, we now have 500 Wendy's Wonderful Kids adoption professionals across the United States and Canada that work in a, a variety of public and private agencies. We can connect folks to an agency that we know, we work with, we vetted, we understand that they're, they're a good agency. We can connect folks to those recruiters and those agencies, and they can help get established directly with someone in their community as well. Um, and then there's so much online. I know that if you Google foster care adoption, you're going to come up with hundreds of search sites. But the reality is that the more you learn, the more you understand the dynamics, the issues, the statistics, I think you become much better informed when you make that first phone call to an agency and you can ask better questions and find out, is is this agency right for me? Is this where I'm going to feel comfortable? And also consider what's your network of support around you? Will my, will my extended family members support me if I become a foster parent, if I become an adoptive parent? Will they understand why I'm doing this? Um, or your, your work community or your faith-based community? You know, make sure it's, it, there's no failure in asking for a network and assistance of, and, and support because that's what will make this, I think, um, experience richer as well. Absolutely. A hundred percent. So DaveFoundation.org. And what I love also is something that I started to do. Uh, I don't remember now. I think it's three or four years ago. I started partnering once a month. I, I send my money to the, it, 
to the Dave Thomas Foundation. And I feel so good about it. It's just something because until or if I'm ever able to to help in a much bigger way with with a child or children, just knowing that I am maybe one little drop in the bucket, but resources, money to help to go towards making this organization continue to help all these children get adopted. How many children have been adopted, uh, Rita, from the Dave I'm going to look at this because it changes every day, but 12,124 children have been, have found their permanent home through Wendy's Wonderful Kids. And, and know that, yes, we're a nonprofit public charity. Thank you for your donation. 90 cents of every dollar donated to the foundation goes directly back into programs and services. So we keep it lean and mean so that those dollars can help children. I think it's it's probably the best $16 I could ever think of spending every month. It is truly a, a blessing to be a part of it. And I think Dave Thomas has known from the moment he met you, even though you didn't spend much time on this earth together, he sees all you've done and, and all these thousands of children that have benefited. Rita Saran, and thank you so very much for all the work that you do in the world for these children and for the Dave Thomas Foundation. You're, you're somebody I've admired all these years, and I did everything I could to track you down and find you again because I wanted the world to hear about the work you're doing. Thank you so much for joining thank us on the way home. You. No, you are amazing, and let's not make it eight more years before we talk again. <laughs> Absolutely not. A hundred percent. Rita Saranen and President and CEO of the Dave Thomas Foundation. DaveThomasFoundation.org is where you can go to find out all the information. If your heart is fluttering right now because you're thinking maybe it's your turn or your time to adopt or foster a child, Dave Thomas Foundation has the wonderful guidance and support and network that you need to start your journey. Thank you so much, Rita. Thank you. God bless and much love. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to The Way Home. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura. Well, did you know that uh, May is actually Mental Health Awareness Month? And it's such a crucial and important topic, especially when we're talking about children, because the recent data actually shows that between 2016 and 2020, the number of children that were diagnosed with anxiety or depression grew by nearly 30%. Well, they're um, are a lot of people who care about that and want to make a difference in these children's lives. And so for that, today we are turning to Dr. Aditi Malik. Uh, Malik. She is the Chief Medical Officer for the Center for Medicaid and CHIP Services and Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services as well. Doctor, thank you so much for joining this. What a, what a big topic. Um, it, there's been just so much that um, you're hearing in the news and we're reading and statistics and everything about how the, in, the increase in depression and anxiety has grown for kids. And yet um, what to do about is, is really the most important thing right now. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. So if you could now, we've all heard that because of the pandemic and with the the isolation, the kids being from home, trying to e-learn and all these type of things, a lot of uh, even 
worse statistics grew as a result of that. But what a lot of people don't know is that there are services that are provided for them. And I want to hear all about that so our listeners can can take advantage of it. Yeah, thank you, Laura. And that's, I'm, I'm so grateful to have this opportunity to, to share this message. So you mentioned May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And the thing I really want to underscore in joining you today is to remind listeners and parents that Medicaid and CHIP um, which are insurance programs that I'll talk about in a moment, um, help support children by providing access to essential behavioral health services, including mental health services like screenings, therapy, counseling, medications where appropriate, both in person and virtually. So as, as we all, adults and children, continue to grapple with the changes that the pandemic has caused in our lives, it is really more important than ever to make sure that our children have access to and can use behavioral health services offered through Medicaid and CHIP. And those services are, are not just limited to mental health or behavioral health. It also includes routine well-child visits, screenings, immunizations, emergency care, eye exams, dental visits, prescriptions, and more. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it, a lot of people, I just think, are not aware of it. So I'm, that's why I'm having you on. It's it's something that they can take advantage of. But um, how can we get? Is it really a parent reaching out to these uh, services um, that would get the ball rolling? How how do they find out about it? And and how do you encourage them uh, in that it would be even helpful if they did it um, with a telemed service, you know, so they don't have to go in person all the time. Um, Because I know that people still aren't back to their physicians or their mental health professionals as much as they were pre-pandemic. Is that correct? That is correct. That is correct. And there is, so really having coverage or access to coverage is a critical first step. So Medicaid and CHIP offer free or low-cost health coverage for eligible children and teens. And folks can apply online, by phone, by mail, or in person. There is no special enrollment period. You could do this today. Uh, And the way you check if you're eligible is by visiting insurekidsnow.gov. That's I-N-S-U-R-E-K-I-D-S-N-O-W dot G-O-V or by calling 1-877-KIDS-NOW. That's 1-877-543-7669. Medicaid and CHIP are, uh, as I said, free and low-cost programs that are run by each state, and they're for children up to age 19 and families with low to moderate incomes. The eligibility generally depends on how many people are in a household and family income, And while it does vary state to state, in most states, children up to age 19 with a family income up to $50,000 per year for a family of four may qualify for Medicaid and CHIP. That's really incredible. And is the process uh, somewhat easy? Is it user-friendly? If people go to insurekidsnow.gov, is it an easy process to follow? Yeah, it's designed to be. The process um, has gotten easier over time. Many can apply and find out if they qualify that same day. Um, so the goal is, um, you know, please don't wait. If you are, I, I too am a, am a mother and, and care very deeply about the mental health of our, our children so that they can live long, prosperous, healthy lives. Um, and this is the kind of thing that, as I said, there's no special enrollment period for. So you could do this today. 
online, by phone, by mail or in person, if you'd like. So somebody um, thinking maybe their child is dealing with whether it's anxiety or behavioral problems, you might be they might be able to access a, a therapist or a professional online um, so that they wouldn't even have to leave home. They could uh, the, the child could have a, a like a routine visit, basically. Is it something that they cover for the whole year? Is it um, d- does it just depend on each household how much they can access these programs? Yeah, great question. So in, in Indiana, the program is called Who's Your Health Wise? Um, but you can get there through, um, through insurekidsnow.gov. The mental health benefits covered under Medicaid and CHIP can include delivery of care through telehealth and in-person services. So when you sign up, um, when you sign up, coverage starts, um, can start at any time of the year. Now, the thing I want folks to be aware of is while you can sign up at any time of the year, the coverage um, coverage during the public health emergency is continuous, like no one is getting disenrolled. But as as we start to um, enter the period where the public health emergency is wound down, um, once once that's over, states will return to normal business and they will return to doing annual renewals for people. And so it is important that folks that are either going to be enrolling in coverage or already enrolled in coverage, keep in touch with your state Medicaid or CHIP agency to make sure that your contact information is up to date so they can send you information about renewing renewing your coverage. That's fantastic. And again, the, there's a very easy to remember number, one eight seven seven kids now one eight seven seven kids now um so that's that's an easy way or it's insure kids now.gov insure kids now.gov anything else you would like us to know uh before we let you go doctor i think as long as folks have the the website and the phone number uh the main thing i want to underscore is that um even if your child or teen has missed doctor's visits or you have, uh, you are among many that have felt like the pandemic has really upended life over the last few years, it's not too late. It's not too late to enroll in coverage. It's not too late to contact a health provider, schedule an appointment, catch up on those missed visits. Because even a well child visit is a really good time to talk to your child or your teen's healthcare provider about any mental health concerns your child or teen may be experiencing. So those websites, again, insurekidsnow.gov or the phone number toll-free 1-877-543-7669. Thank you so much again for having me. Thank you for having me as well. And such uh, a great opportunity for people who need support for their kids, um, whether it's just wellness visits or for uh, mental health issues. It's all available at 1-877-KIDS-NOW. Thank you, Dr. Aditi Malik. Appreciate you coming on The Way Home. Thank you, Laura. Take care. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Once again, here's Laura. Well, this past week was Women's uh, Health Week, and there is so much in the development of, of how we diagnose and and treat breast cancer. And it's just, you know, we always have the, the month in October that we focus on it, but really for, for all women, it's something that needs to be looked at and thought about all year long. So I am very grateful to have 
with me today, Dr. Pamela Habib. She's the head of U.S. Medical Affairs for Bayer Radiology. And Dr. David Schacht, breast radiologist at Northwestern's Lynn Sage Breast Center at Prentice Women's Hospital. Both of you, thank you so much for joining us today. And I know that there's been uh, a lot of developments and research done that talks about um, women who are under a, a greater risk of, of getting breast cancer and some findings that you've had. So, Dr. Habib, um, if you wouldn't mind uh, just starting us off. Absolutely. Thank you, Laura. Um, that's exactly right. We've, we've done surveys recently and we've identified gaps in understanding and knowledge of what it means to have dense breasts, which is why we're um, on this campaign trying to educate as many women as we can throughout the year and not just during Women's Health Week or Breast Cancer Month. Um, but the meaning of de- breast density which is, and why it's important. So on a mammogram, we can identify, a radiologist can see the mammogram and see two types of tissue. And so there's fatty tissue and dense tissue or fibroglandular tissue. And it's that fibroglandular tissue which makes the des- dense the breast dense. So the more of that there is, the more dense the breast is. And if there's a lot, we call it extremely dense. There are various categories. Um, and it's important for from a risk perspective because... Number one, it can hide a tiny cancer on the mammogram. So when you can, you can imagine when there's a lot of white, dense tissue everywhere and cancers also appear white, it can be easy to hide in a cloud of dense tissue. Um, the other important factor is that women with dense breasts are at an increased risk of developing breast cancer. And we know that um, for extremely dense breasts, the risk is four to six times higher than a woman without dense breasts. And so because of those two reasons, it's really important to um, for us to make sure all women understand this topic. Um, Dr. Habib, is that uh, having dense breasts, is that something that is uh, avoidable or is it just uh, it's genetics and that's the way you're born? And so how how is it that you know that you might be under greater risk for having them? That's a great question. Um, there are a number of factors that go into whether or not you have dense breasts. So it's not a simple, I can do something different and change it. It definitely changes over time based on um, gen- the genetic one obviously cannot be changed, but there are dietary factors, body size, um, hormone intake, uh, these types of things, age, they all impact it, but there's not really a recommendation to try to change it, but it's just good to be aware that it could change naturally over time. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to ask Dr. Schacht, uh, in terms of getting mammograms, is this something that is detectable with the current equipment that women have available to them? Um, because I, you said it's the cancer is the same color as, as the dense breast, basically. So how is it detectable? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, so Laura, the 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 background bre- breast density that we're discussing really is only defined on the mammogram, um, and it, this is something that is reported by the physician who reads the mammogram, the radiologist who reads the mammogram, um, to the referring providers of the patient, and increasingly, since some kind of national legislation moved through, um, and increasingly, it's in the patient letters as well. Um, so the important thing to keep in mind, I think, for, for patients is that mammograms save lives, and this is true across all breast densities. Um, but when you do have that high breast density, it's important to 
Um, then have a follow-up conversation with your regular medical providers about the breast density and truly about your overall risk profile um, to understand what, if anything else, beyond just a regular mammogram might make sense for you as a patient. And every, would you say that the the profession around the entire country and all of the hospitals are up on this? So any woman would be able to go and and actually bring this up to her her doctor who she's getting a mammogram with, I guess, and and say, you know, are you can you see um, if I'm at risk for this because of the density of my breast? So is everybody like understanding of of this new of these new findings? Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, truly to, to us in the radiology community, this is at this point really about um, getting that information as widely um, known as possible. Um, the, the density reporting has been part of the mammography report created by radiologists uh, for some time now. Um, and if you're not sure of your density based on the letter you as a patient get at home, um, you should be able to ask your referring provider for the information contained in the medical report, the more official medical report, um, because the density should be stated quite, quite clearly in that report as well. I see. Okay. So everyone can definitely be on the same page then. Dr. Habib, I'm wondering since, you know, now we're, we're about like two, two and a half years, maybe almost going on two and a half years uh, beyond the beginning of the pandemic. Are women, are you finding, are they going back and getting all their screenings and things done again? Um, because I know for a long time, a lot of people were just not going for their annual mammograms and things like that. Um, has that turned around? That's that's absolutely right. They are starting to go in more. Um, I, I don't think it's completely turned, but we've definitely seen an increase in people going back to get the screening test that they missed during the pandemic. Um, because we've, there's been some modeling that's been done to see what the impact is. And we know that all kinds of screening tests and non-emergent tests were delayed or not performed because of the pandemic. Um, but there, we're seeing on the order of two to 3,000 or so uh, breast cancers additional um, might happen in the next eight to 10 years because of this uh, gap that we saw. So we are seeing uh, more and more women coming in um, to get their screening now. So uh, we, we encourage people as soon as they can, if they missed a test, to go back in and get back on schedule. Wonderful. Well, if you could give us a, a great uh, website to go to for more information about what we were talking about today in terms of breast density and, and how we need to address this uh, with our doctors and also radiologists. Absolutely. So there is a website, understandyourdensity.com. And uh, anyone can go there and learn more about this topic and identify what they already know and take some or answer some questions. So it's a great resource. Understandyourdensity.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Pamela Habib and Dr. David Schock. Thank you both so much for, for opening our eyes and telling us about this, something that a lot of people like me may had not have heard of before. Thank you so much for being on the way home. Great to be with you. Thank you so much. You're listening to The Way Home. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura. Oh, I love being here with you and always uh, ending our show on a good note, a high note, a positive note. 
Um, that's with good news stories. And uh, what the world needs now is some stories of uplift, because no matter how difficult um, and how tragic or how um, hard life can be, there is very often a silver lining or just some good news that helps to balance it out. It's what keeps us all going. So for that, we turn to my good friend, Jim Cleefield, also known as Jimmy Dean. Give us some happy, uplifting stories that you have found out in the interweb, Jim. Well, you've come to the right place, my dear LJ. And we're going to start in Los Angeles. Imagine being at your graduation, a college graduation. It is graduation season, after all. And somebody tells you, that all of your debt is paid off. It's kind of like that Oprah Winfrey thing. You, know, you get a car, you get a car. Your debt is paid off. Your debt is paid off. That is exactly what has happened to over 280 graduates at the Otis College of Art and Design in Los Angeles. I'll tell you the reason why. Because the co-founder of Snapchat, his name is Evan Spiegel and his wife, Miranda Kerr, they have decided to pay off the debts of 285 graduates at the Otis College of Art and Design. And you can imagine, because let's face it, you know, for a typical college student, they usually, usually leave college. Yes, they have that degree, their master's degree, whatever it might be, and they have tens of thousands of dollars in debt, and you got to think, that's not a great way to start your life, is it? Well, the fact that you know they announced it during the graduation, you can imagine like all the supporters there, all the graduates. I mean, there were gasps, there were cheers, they were hugging and crying because they couldn't believe this is little extra bonus here that they're going to get. And the president of the college is saying, you know, this is great what these two are doing because he hopes that it will inspire them to you know pay it forward as they become leaders in our community and inspire others to do really good for others. So, I mean, just it's a very special thing. So not just to have that college degree, but knowing that you're going to start the rest of of your life because the word commencement you know the reason that word exists there it means the start of the rest of your life and the fact that they're going to start without college debt it's going to take a lot of stress off of them and it's going to i think really just give them the the empowerment to just go out there and get it yeah talk yeah. about being a recipient is that's interesting i never heard about that before it being called a commencement because of that is that is that true bob have you that's heard that heard. No, no, that's supposed to be the rest heard. of your life that's what yep. i was told what really? commencement that, is yeah did you know that? well yeah. it makes all the sense in the world mm-hmm. for sure and did you say miranda kerr miranda kerr she's an actress she, I, think she, I, I think she's the one that used to be married to orlando bloom who is now married to Katy perry oh, okay i think miranda kerr i think she was a model or something or yeah but anyway so and she must be with the you said the, the creator of snapchat creator of snapchat yes evan spiegel wow very cool and very generous and what a great gift to receive if you are like you said commencing and going out into the real world that's beautiful jim thanks for finding the good and happy news for us thank you bob small the engineer who juggles a million things himself i wish i could tip you <laughs> I wish you could too. <laughs> How much? Eight dollars. How about eight dollars? Well, that I have to take that would, a couple would, zeros off it. I would love even. Well, that. we'll get sure. you a cup of coffee. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, or some balance of nature. Yes, How about that? that? There you go. There <laughs> and by the way, thanks to Balance of Nature for bringing us, uh, bringing you, I should say, the way home every week here, as they believe in the programming. So grateful to them. Fruits and veggies in a capsule. You can order them at balanceofnature.com. Be sure and put Laura into the promo code. Have a wonderful week, everyone, full of positivity, generosity, and all the things that make you truly happy. Lots of love. We'll see you next time. 